0: You're listening to Music Ed. I'm Samson Trin. In this new episode of Music Ed, we will continue with part two of my final graduate studies project, retitled, The Educational Processes of Independent Authors in Elementary General Music Education. The topic proposal for the research is to conduct interviews with music educators and authors who have written, arranged music, performed, recorded, published, shared, And sold elementary general music resources to teachers in the educational marketplace. Our guest today is Brent Hull, owner of Beaten Path Publications, a publishing house in Bridgewater, Virginia, that distributes offshore resources to classroom music teachers. We'll begin with another audio thought journal before the interview. I picked five dates for five minutes to think deeply and let the mind wander with no distraction, interruptions, noise, and technology. A quiet and isolated place is recommended. However, there were times where I found it a challenge to establish this and not have technology as a resource for my thoughts. Here's the journal. Wednesday, June 17th. For some time, I've been on this regiment of always having a project or deadline and find that I'm quite impatient. I even have a hard time conversing with neighbors because I know that I'm on several deadlines and the fear keeps sinking in that I'll never complete them. It seems to be this way for a long time. Even taking my dogs out for a walk doesn't help clear my mind as it is a chore. The clock just moves so fast. Thursday, June 18th. Random thought. I can never sit still. Even when I eat, I always have to get up to grab a condiment or refill my beverage. The following article, I'm using quotations now, the following article has shown up frequently on my feed. Um, It says, uh, the National Association of Teachers of Singing panel of experts lays out sobering feature for singers, no vaccine, no safe public singing. Think about how many users have clickbaited on images similar to this one. I have many images of how to picture a, a safe music classroom. We have a mass amount of music teachers in the world. We're all trying to figure it out. Our teachers, after-school activities directors, physical educators are all trying to figure out how to keep the children safe and the parents sane. I still see hope in the music world. There's this married couple that normally sells choral binders and robes who've recently developed a bulkier and roomier face mask to allow students to sing. It's currently in a field-testing mode. Friday, June 19th. I saw this video of Ronnie Wood interviewing Paul McCartney where he describes what it was like to sing with Brian Wilson. Paul says, It's just little vibrations. Music is only little vibrations. The words, the things. It has this powerful effect. The healing power of music is serious. Well, he is a Beatle. Saturday, June 20th. Trying to adjust my acceptance for the news that I'll be teaching music in grade-level classrooms at the lower school because our upper school will need rooms in the arts building to accommodate social distancing practices. It's like an episode from Glee. (laughs) Glee. I'm currently looking for music carts, specifically one that holds ukuleles. I'm also considering to sharing the lower school cafeteria with my art teacher because music is going to be loud since most of the instruction will involve playing instruments. I don't want all of the classroom teachers to hate me from the creative masterpieces (laughs) that the students are piling together. Sunday, June 21st, the adult life gets in the way of reaching out to the ones that you think will always be around. I got word that my dear family member, Bill Scott, passed away on Saturday night. He's not a friend. He was more of an uncle and arguably a second father. He was Corporal William L. Scott, who served in the Vietnam War and later became a carpenter. I remember most of my introduction to American music came from Bill. He would always sing Bad Bad Leroy Brown, Hey Good Lookin', and I Saw the Light. I took out a scrapbook that he gave me a year ago. The first page that I opened showed an image that brought me to tears. It was a young U.S. Marine in his dress uniform before he went to war. Here's a sampling of those songs that Bill sang to me when I was a kid.
1: Well, South Side of Chicago us a brand new recipe I got a hot rod ford and a two dollar bill and I know a spot right over the hill there's soda pop and the dancing spree so if you wanna have fun come along with me I wondered so aimless life filled with sin I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord! I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. Praise.
0: Here's my interview with Brent Hall, conducted on June twelfth, twenty twenty. So uh, let's begin with where uh, where were you raised and who were your early musical influences This can be artists and music educators that changed your life?
2: My high school choir director was the first one. Uh, Actually, sorry, second one. The first one was my uh, youth choir director in 10th grade. And up till 10th grade, I had resisted uh, my musical talent pretty cleverly. I knew I had it. You know, I knew I was talented, my parents all knew, but it was part of the rebellion thing as a teenager. And when my brother, my older brother, was the one who joined all the choirs, he was the singer. And as long as he was in the choir, I said, okay, I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, little brother uh, has to do his own, be independent. Hmm. So as soon as he graduated, I joined the high school choir. Was he like two and years above you? My, he's two years above me, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was I was in, uh, joined as a junior um, in high school, and uh, by my senior year, um, I had been selected to sing one of the solos in the Messiah. I was a baritone, you know, so it yeah. was the Refiner's Fire. You remember that? <laughs> and I remember sitting there in one of the final performances of the Messiah, thinking just listening to the the organist play you know one of the pascal, one of the you know pastorals in between pieces you know we're all just sitting there and i had just gone through this intense solo exercise of i had to you know get all stirred up and sing this thing with refiner's fire and i sat down I went, like that and there this pastoral came on and i began to listen to it you know and as a, as a composer now, and a teacher, and someone who listens intently to music uh, in detail, I realized, looking back, that was probably my first uh, chance that I had to listen in detail to music. And very shortly after that, I told my high school choir director I was going to major in music. I was a terrible pianist. I had, I had ignored all my musical training up to that point. I went and did an interview with uh, Professor Philip Trout, who became another mentor. And he asked me a couple of questions. and the, the one that I remember was, can you imagine a keyboard? Just uh, visualize it? You know, can you yeah. visualize, yeah, imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you, if you can imagine a keyboard... And you imagine the sounds of the keys if you were push, you know, in your imagination. Yeah. And I went. I looked at him and said, "Can't everybody?" <laughs> <laughs> that's the best answer. <laughs> and and, yeah, and he looked he looked back at me and said, "Uh huh. Okay. Well." Yeah. Um. And at that point, he said he he knew my background, and I'm talking about Bridgewater College. Yep. Little liberal arts institution in the Shenandoah Valley, at that time had about a thousand students. Had a department of music, and I was a member of the freshman class that had twelve kids in it. Of the twelve kids, only about six of us graduated in wow. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, music education was the only only thing they offered. Uh, they had a organ performance degree and a church music degree I think but as far as my college experience in music it was you know very basic so um
0: flashing back to um your two choral directors were they uh, male directors or female yes. directors both male directors the first one
2: was uh okay. was Diane Huffman mm-hmm. she was you know female but she was sweet you know one of those that that had everybody you know wrapped around her little finger. she was uh-huh. so um uh, charismatic you know she could just I mean we're talking She was, this was youth choir uh-huh. so we're talking everything from 8th grade to seniors and we had a pretty good youth choir and then my the two later ones were in I don't attribute any particular significance to that <laughs> <laughs> it's just who it was there um uh- so
0: you talked about um, your undergrad uh, briefly about your undergrad experience at uh, Bridgewater. Can you continue on with like uh, your musical path, such as your first and main instrument, and also um, talk about your graduate studies at James Madison University? Because that seems just looking at your bio, it seems like that was where the majority yeah. of the music k- kicked in. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so I was mostly a vocalist. Mm-hmm. I was in a. Um, a Peter, Paul, and Mary folk-style guitar group. Nice. <laughs> I was in a jazz band. I was in a jazz combo. I was in every choral ensemble and instrumental ensemble on campus. I played all the bass instruments. Um, and all the, we had all the methods classes. Like woodwinds, I would play the bass clarinet. In brass, I would play the tuba. And strings, I would play the bass, and I sang bass in the choir. I was like little So all, all,
0: all, all, all about the bottom, but the foundation, though. It's all foundation. about the bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of Carl Orff's great uh, great pieces of advice is you um, got to have a good bass. You got to have oh, a good foundation. That. It's so well, true. it's biblical, <laughs> you know. It's biblical. You build your house on a, on the rock, yep. you know.
3: Yep.
2: So uh, anyway, that that was my main uh emphasis in college was um preparing to teach and even that I was a little bit reluctant because I was having so much fun with the instrumental stuff and, yeah. the, and the ensembles it was the uh-huh. ensembles instrumental and vocal uh I love to play all the instruments Insp- it took me a while to get, yeah, well, no,
3: yeah.
2: no, 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 that's a whole different, expi- that's a that. whole nother I'll, story, I'll get you get that, into yeah. that, you get, please do, please yeah, do, that's, absolutely. that's fun, that's a fun story, Yeah. but, um, uh, basically, uh, my college career was a growing, uh, foreboding sense of foreboding that all this was going to go away, and how was I going to get a job, you know, yeah. So I finally came around and said, okay, I'll be a teacher and got into the music education. Um, And I went to a workshop on a Saturday morning. Uh, Professor Cliff Pritchett was our music education uh, professor. Mm -hmm. And he had met uh, Connie Saliba at some workshop or conference somewhere. And I have no clue how that happened. Anyway, he invited her to Bridgewater College. And this was uh, uh, in 72, maybe. And I think uh, the best of my recollection is somewhere, but it's right around 72 or 73. All right. She came and did a workshop, an ORF workshop, and I'd never seen such incredible stuff in my life. You know what it's all all about. Uh, That's what turned me to wanting to teach. All of a sudden, I thought, well, I can do that. That's cool. That's fun. Okay, so that got me just as excited in the teaching thing as I had been excited to be in the ensembles. But it also had this, this cool uh, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Uh, it was a job. <laughs> so I went to my girlfriend, and I proposed. We got married. I got a teaching job at Augusta County. And 33 years later, I retired. And that's that. Yeah course a lot of stuff happened in that in that from the time I graduated so it's like uh, that set me on my path
0: I really like how you were describing how um, what really uh, influenced you first well you know you have orf and then you have the ensemble part of that you have the singing part of it but at the end you said you have a job that's it but like, i love how that's first <laughs> than the job because as artists we are, we don't realize the currency part until it's like oh yeah <laughs> but uh um uh, so yeah. i was gonna say uh i'm fascinated on how you established the general music atmosphere in your in a middle school setting um and you already discussed uh briefly discussed how you entered uh teaching elementary and middle school music and choir. But um, also, since band and choir are usually separate uh, classes in middle school, how did you combine the two worlds by forming ORF ensembles and general music classes?
2: After that first experience with Connie Saliba, which uh-huh. t- which really piqued my interest, I waited until after I got my master's degree at JMU in music ed. Okay, so it was not till 77, which was three or four years after I graduated. hmm Okay, four years of teaching elementary uh, while I was uh, doing my master's degree. And then my last year of teaching elementary came after I did my first level one with Shirley McCrae in Memphis, University of Memphis. Uh-huh. Um, and so, right about 1978, the Augusta County decided to build middle schools. They had no middle schools up until this point, it was K 7, and then 8 through 12, high school, elementary school. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so they, they asked for volunteers to write the curriculum for the new middle schools.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I got a brand new building. I got to write the curriculum. And because I'd had my level 1 in 77, at the moment I was writing the curriculum, I, would, I took my level 1 and level 2, and I moved into the middle school right before I took the level 3. So I had I taught my first year of le, uh, middle school with the level two, and then I took level three, and from that point on, uh, my middle school career really kind of took off.
0: So you said you did so in four, school, four we, years of elementary. You said you did four years. Four years elementary of elementary school. teaching.
2: Okay. okay. Yeah, that meant twenty nine in middle school, twenty eight, twenty nine. Something. What, I don't know about my math. Anyway, um, so. In the curriculum, you're talking about how we melded the choral, the general music, and the band. In the curriculum, we wrote what we call uh, as an exploratory wheel where children had the uh, uh, choices to take exploratory courses. And many, many of them took band and choir, or band and general music, which I called the Orph Ensemble. Mm. I did not like the name general music. Mm. It didn't sell very well. so i called it Orph ensemble that was my that was the name for my general music class so there were a lot of double double ups okay so the band kids were really fun uh, but the choir kids joined in too so they got to mix you know in that setting and uh, and on the side i was i loved my ensemble playing from college days remember that Mm -hmm. so i was a tuba player so i picked up a trumpet. Started learning yeah. how to play it so I went over and sat in the band. So the band director and I got to be best buds. Oh. And I I think I had three band directors over my career, which is, you know, that's a lot, yeah. And that, that's uh and so we and my my big thing was to to say that dude, we teach music. You don't you're not a band teacher, you're a music mm-hmm. teacher. I'm yeah. not an ORF teacher, I'm not a choir teacher. We're music teachers so we would often combine for like special special singing sessions you know one of of my band my favorite band director and I would stand outside our doors at visitation days the parents would come in Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and we'd greet them and I would say hi everybody this is Mr. Hall he's the band teacher and he teaches them to sing and he would look right over and just without missing a beat and hi folks this is Mr. Hall he's the choir teacher and he teaches them to play (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that, after that, you know, it was all downhill, but whatever. Uh, and we had a real good understanding of our roles, and, and we worked together really well.
0: So what software applications do you use for music notation, um, publishing lesson books, and uh, video editing?
2: Uh, I use iMovie for videos mm-hmm. and uh, QuickTime. And I'm a Finale user since 1994, Um, I use Adobe, the Adobe Suite, for all the publishing. Adobe InDesign is my layout and pre-press. Photoshop is how I prepare all my images, all the photos, all the graphics. I use uh, the Apple version of PowerPoint, Keynote, Mm. to generate uh, visuals and uh, for the inside of books a lot of times. The folks that publish want to put uh, visuals and presentations and things up for their kids to see, and so we often offer not only printed materials but supplemental uh, materials online. Folks can download them and do what they wish with them. You know, they can. uh, We'll often include the full score of the piece in a so they can print out a separate page, um, so they can have that on their music stand or stick it on the piano or something. Uh, I will put all the visuals that are mentioned in the book in projectable uh, visuals. So big JPEG image or TIFF. They can also put that in their own PowerPoint software, Keynote, and make it happen uh, for themselves. So that that has gotten a lot of positive feedback as far as uh, what people like in the publications. We also prepare um, electronic books. So I send them out as interactive PDFs, which are kind of fun because, you know, the table of contents becomes live and you can go right straight to the piece just by hitting the number. And all the hyperlinks are active, so if you want to point folks to a website or if you want to point them to a, a resource externally, you put the link in there and boom, they're, they're right there with it. Is that like and an then ePub, we, then we, e-pub format? I'm sorry. Is that
0: is that like an ePub format or like? No, uh, we also
2: do that. It's uh-huh. uh, two. I send out two versions, and it's one is the interactive PDF, and the other one is ePub 3.0. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the books have audio, like Paul's book. You mentioned Paul Bateman. Mm-hmm. Um, his his Marimba book. Uh, if you Cooking get the ePub version, yeah. Cooking with marimbas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get the ebook, then you, there's a link on each page, a play button. And oh, wow. you can just hit the play button. <laughs> you got it up on your iPad or your laptop, and away you go. You can see it, hear it um, right there. And because it's an ebook, you can actually project it. So if he ever wanted to use it in a workshop, mm-hmm. just throw it up on the screen and say, Here you go, if people. Play this. <laughs> So, I am not. Yeah,
0: the, I can't say that I'm the only tech guy. I mean, I always look at your websites and just steal from your ideas because it's like, wow, he's really ahead of the game. <laughs> but uh, cool. So um, what was I going to put down? Okay, so uh, this is like a reference. Um, authors Clark and Phillips from the text Inside Book Publishing state that the larger the giant publishers become, the more niches they leave open for smaller publishers to exploit exploit and small publishers must work hard at choosing and marketing their titles carefully. Uh, What are the creative and um, administrative processes to operate your publishing house, Beaten Path Publications?
3: Wow, that's a (laughs) big one.
0: (laughs) Basically, who
2: gets to publish, right, and Mm -hmm. what? So uh, we started our effort. Because I was networking with a lot of ORF people uh, at courses in the summer, summer courses, and at national conferences. And in the course of that networking and learning to know people, I realized that there is a lot of good material that these folks generated for themselves Mm -hmm. that uh, pretty much all of us wondered... wonder how we could, you know, is is this, could this be shared, you know? Did, are you guys interested in what, and this idea that, oh, yeah, that was great. You should do more of that. Um, and this, and in the circles that I ran in, it was like I was in the master class for Orff so that all the level three plus teachers would show up. And by the time you get that level of experience, you know, you're like 10 to 12 years into your, your teaching career, and you've done... Summertime professional development that whole time. You know, you're you're a very, very professional and a very competent uh, teacher at that point. And in the ORF business, you know, we encourage all of our students to create their own materials. Mm -hmm.
0: You said that the 10-year span of you um, being in... Well, like, you have your meetups with your level 3 people who have done level 3 in the past. I would assume that you've got y'all have you guys just accumulated so many lessons and so many songs that i'm just guessing that y'all just came together and said why not let's just throw it all in michael
2: nichols and i decided to publish um our our pieces and try it out mm -hmm. so that was 1993 um and mostly it was published michael's church music for children and uh so that's kind of the first publications we put together and we started with print getting ready for a physical printing press and you had to get runs of a thousand mm-hmm. and then they would say you got a, this costs like a buck but if you throw another 1000 uh, in there we'll give them to you for 25 cents a piece you know because once yeah. you get the printers the rollers and the ink all set up mm-hmm. it's really cheap um, and that went on until the digital age and I've still got boxes of books in the garage from the, that that period of time from some authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we're going to have a bargain basement yard sale at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. hope so, And, yeah. and just Absolutely. really push those out of the garage. Gotcha. Then um, the digital age came about, um, and I began to add more. So it really wasn't until about 2003... Uh, The book that you held up was 2002, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And right about then, Chris judah Lauder came to uh, JMU to teach a level course. And she looked at us at dinner one time after looking through Michael's books and my book and said, I want you guys to do my hand drum book. And that was her first publication. Mm-hmm. And you know how famous Chris is in the ORF world. She is former president of the AOSA, has done level courses for 30 years, um, t- now teaches master classes, and is still a good friend. And she did three drumming books with us, four drumming books with us. There's Kenya Conga. one book on the modes. Right. Yeah. yeah, Kenya Conga. To drum, hand drums on the move. And then she did one on called In the Mode, In the Modes. And she's thinking of another one right now. Uh, I said, why don't you write your master class? Write to me a, a little book about what your view of this whole ORF thing, where you are at, in the ORF movement. You know, let's, let's hear it. Because Chris is that second that third generation from Carl ORF. Uh-huh. It's ORF and Kate Mann and Whitehawk. And then the, second genera- the next generation is Sleba, um, Doreen Hall, uh, you know, all, all of that generation who were our teachers. Mm-hmm. And then we're the third generation. Chris is my generation. So each generation needs to tell a story. Mm. So that's what we're kind of working on now. I'm getting these folks of fellow third generationers now that doesn't mean it's solely that i've got some some brand new 10-year teachers who are just starting out who are like uh the fourth and fifth generation teachers and those guys uh, need to be heard as well so i think one of the roles of us older folks is to mentor these young folks and and help them get started and get get their own thoughts and organized to to share with everybody else because somebody's got to do the workshop yeah. and somebody's got to teach the level courses and somebody has to take over the teaching of your graduate classes mm-hmm. which is probably where you're going with your preparation sounds like yeah and at some at some point the students become the teachers so i try to dedicate pretty much whatever what i've got left as far as a professional career to that enterprise
0: so I'd like to share with you my fifth graders performing uh, your composition, TikTok Shock, from your book ensemble, and also, like, um, just let's talk about this. And okay. um, Yeah, so let me just pull this up. We didn't have a gong.
2: <laughs> oh, no. kid in the middle <laughs> just as cute as she can be she's yeah. done it's like, yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey don't worry
0: yeah thanks <laughs>
2: those two front kids are playing the hardest parts in the whole piece yes <laughs>
0: about that, screen sharing and stop, good. Um, yeah, like uh, the one kid on the uh, the Tubano, um, you know, it was one of those situations where uh, trying to give him any instrument possible that could work, and that seemed to be the best one for him. But hey, he, he was like, awesome. Look, look, looking at the score, it's just straight up eighth notes, couldn't do that. I was like, you know what, just let's go yeah. with the straight up. Tick 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 tick. That's tick, what you do, you know? man. Yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, that's why we train you up so yeah. you can adapt everything for your own kids. That yeah. that's a big uh, big part of it.
0: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. But um, so how did uh this one come about? You, said you seem pretty passionate about uh this one, and uh, what's the story of this? And so you said with in, I'm, I'm kind of off going off tangent here, but like for so for InDesign, would you create? A graphic like this, or
2: uh, that graphic, um, let's see, let's was generated in Photoshop.
0: Bergen White, Bergen White,
2: Bergen uh, White. <laughs> she showed me um, uh, one a, a kid's drawing.
0: Oh, okay. And
2: she had actually copied a painting that was hanging in her uh, in her house, maybe, or at school. So you know, I'm expecting the. Copyright police to show up at my door at any moment. No, I'm not. <laughs> but anyway, she. It was a. It was a pencil, a colored pencil drawing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you can imagine what that's like. So I thought oh, that you know that's an ensemble. I, those those figures are all holding hands. They're all connected. Perfect image for an ensemble. Uh-huh. And so I put it in Photoshop and my niece. I mean, this is the early days, okay? So I didn't know anything about Photoshop. I was doing Photoshop Essential, whatever the the dumbed down version.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But she was an art major, and she's visiting. And I said, "Robin, come here and show me some stuff." And she showed me how to color in all of the all of the. So I basically traced over yeah. the image that the child had made. And generated that image with the bright, you know, the bright colors. And then just through little scraps of paper all around, in the little little shapes around the outside. And that's it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, yep. Photoshop, you generate your image, you import it into the InDesign, you, you size it up, and away you go.
3: Awesome. So that,
2: that's the story of the cover. Did you and, want to hear uh, the story about the inside? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I mean that's the most important part. Yeah, like uh,
2: all right. So, whatever. so the inside, all of those pieces were generated <clears throat> from models that were presented in master classes in Orff Schulwerk, uh, presented by Jos Wytock, Professor Jos Wytock, from Belgium, and he was the pedagogue, the driving force behind the um, Memphis Orff Institute. Established in nineteen seventy-three, and is still going to this day. Uh, it was his; uh, he was the pedagogue. He's the one who who created the levels program and the techniques for composition and pres- It was his basically his idea that he came in, and then. But one of the precepts of that approach that he he really required was, yeah, it's all about the teacher presenting models for you to adapt assimilate and expand on okay mm-hmm. so he basically showed us you know how to use the instruments it was a big orchestration class we all had orchestration instrumentation in in undergrad school you know you had to do that, that you have to learn about the instruments yeah. well nobody ever taught us in, in college about ORF instruments they didn't yeah. exist So one of his big focuses was, well, here are these ORF instruments. They're beautiful. They have a magical sound. Um, They are real, authentic, genuine musical instruments that can be played beautifully. And the cool part about it and the other focus of his whole program was that it was for teaching music to children. So there, the two, you know, everything he did, and then, then of course, you could go into rhythm, melody, form, dynamics, the whole, you know, all the way down the line, dividing up how to train teachers in this approach. Level one, level two, level three, what goes where, all that stuff. Um, It was really, uh, it was really coming into focus right around the time that I started. From seventy three to seventy nine was the was really the time frame that he was uh, uh, developing this whole thing. in 79, I I did my first level three and masterclass. And then um, I kept going back, 81, 83, 85, every other year to a masterclass. 81, I did, I repeated the uh, level three, did two level threes. And then I stayed on at masterclass. By 1987, 85, Um, they asked me to keep coming back and talk about your techie geek stuff. I had my little Marantz portable tape deck and stereo Uh, microphones. I'd set them up in the classroom (laughs) and I was the audio scribe and I would tape five days, uh, eight hours a day. And then I would go home and edit that down to the music pieces plus the lectures so every now and then, he'd stop and he'd lecture about something. So I would tape the lectures. He called them seminars. Um, and then I would I would edit each piece. You know, he, he would, he, here's this model, let's all play it. Here's this model, let's all play it. Here's this model, let's all play it. Um, so that was my role for 85, 87, 89, 91, 93, and 95. I quit that's doing a lot it at of 95. tape, right? That I can't.
0: That's, that, that's a lot of tape. And when yeah. you edit it together, is it just cutting it and just?
2: Really I it was a cassette. Out? It was a cassette player. Oh, okay, so you can I had uh, my, just
0: yeah, yeah just push. go back and forth. Okay. I had a double
2: a double cassette. Okay, I'm imagining it reels of yeah. tape. <laughs> no, no, it was all on cassette. Okay, remember but cassettes? Still, you remember the,
0: cassette. absolutely. That's where what I started off listening to. But like, amen. I mean, yeah, still have t- tapes to this day. Still have tapes to this All day. All right. So, in yeah.
2: the course of that uh, 17 summer uh, period that I worked at Memphis University, um, my first publication was in 2002, which was seven years after I quit going to Memphis. And I just thought, you know, and I'd had so much fun in middle school up to that point. You know, I'm I'm in my last five years of my teaching career now, at 2002. And I thought. Okay, it's time to share. I mean, I, me and Brahms were late to the game. I mean, there I am, 50, 52 years old, and I'm going to write my first book. <laughs> so um, I decided to um, create model orchestrations based on some of Yose's favorite models. So he loved to do, talking about TikTok shock, he always did with us a Chacon. He did one every year they were all different. It's a thing, it's a perfect he would call them layered melodic ostinati. Mm. Okay. And a lot of times he would use that descending fifth bass, descending fourth, that polka bell bass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it would be the descending phrygian tetrachord. <laughs> da 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 da. da. You know, make it into something. But that descended—that was another very common one. You know, mm-hmm. Bach loved that one, and so did Procol Harem. Whiter shade of pale, and and Ray Charles hit the road. Jack, that's a good one. That's a descending uh, mm, Phrygian Gordon. Mm, yeah, hit the road. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's it. And the uh, the TikTok shock is a chaconne with the with the Paca Bell bass. But the story in the book is also absolutely true. My parents came back with cuckoo clocks for everybody. My cuckoo clock is still sitting out, is hung hanging out in the, in the dining room. And they came back and told us the story of buying those, how they went into this, this clock shop. And it's all going tick-tock, 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 tick, toc, tick toc, toc, toc. If you've listened, you listen to the recording, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun making that recording. All of those instruments were computer-generated. Oh, yeah. Even, um... no, nothing was live on that CD, and and talking to me and my recording guy, he had all of the the samples and all mm-hmm. of the the stuff. He he was the high tech dude, and it was me just going, "Oh yeah, let's have some of that. Let's put that in there, and let's do this, and let's do that." Oh, cool. And, I mean, it was just like a kid in a candy shop. Yeah, at that yeah. point, and I ju- I really just wanted to provide a CD so that folks you could kind of hear the finished product if they wanted to go that direction. And then everybody, as you did, Mm -hmm. as you did, you, you adapt everything. And I've had so many people come to me and say, and and we did this and we did that and we added this part and this part. Just yesterday, one of my level three students inquired on, on messenger. What was that? What was that theme and variations we did in level three? I said, well, it would be the Theme and Variations on Bach. Was that the Calypso one? No, it wasn't the Calypso one. <laughs> the Calypso was the next piece after that. It's the Dream. It's in that book. Yeah,
0: and it's and a, so we the, were talking okay, about uh, that polka, book yesterday. That
2: part. That's the one. That the one? Var- yeah. Theme and Variations on a Theme of J.S. Bach. Yeah, <laughs> and the Bach and the theme is It's the... da 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 Brandenburg and Concerto Number Five, but it's only like the first two measures. <laughs> Whatever. So it's like, uh, so Yos would do do that in his classes, and then I came home and I said, "Well, that's kind of fun. I'm pretty smart. Let's let's just pick a theme." The theme came about because of a summer course that I taught uh, in Augusta County all those years. A combination of five art. Groups. So we had an art teacher, a movement, a dance teacher, a uh, music teacher, a drama teacher, and we would combine our efforts. And so one year we did Bach. Paper. What do you need? piece of paper. piece of blank or it can be on one side? Blank. Blank. All right. There you go. We have grandchildren here, and son, and yeah. everybody. They they volunteered to leave me alone, except for that little moment. <laughs> all right, where was I?
0: We went into theme and variations of the James theme and Mark variations. And oh, the summer teacher. the summer course. Yeah, yeah okay. the
2: summer course. Anyway, the theme was that year for music was theme and variations. We did all these things, and we actually generated that those generate. We generated those variations in the music classes of that week, that two-week set. We did two weeks and I had the, I had all the kids, 150 kids coming through to all classes, you know, all age groups and whatever and we generated our own and after the thing was over, I put it, I picked out my favorites and polished them up and that was that. Those variations, each variation was a model of something that I had done. So the one of them, the calliope is the the natchez the riverboat in new orleans that goes on the it has a calliope oh. and you're sitting there waiting it's going doo dee dee doo,
3: dee, 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 dee
2: that bit um, the humoristic one at the end was one that he would often throw in just for fun it's where you divide the melody into its rhythmic components and then give it to all different instruments to play and it's very humoristic and kids and, always loved that one. They thought lots that was just the coolest thing.
0: Lots of space too. It seems like lots of space and Well if you think the melody the So
2: you you got yeah. like that. Yeah, I can see how the kids
0: would dig that, yeah, very Yeah. Deep.
2: And it also well Yeah, And
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> they have to listen to each other to get the timing. It's like uh, handbells, you know, you have yeah. to wait your turn and get it mm-hmm. in the right rhythm and all that sort of thing, so
0: so um, I was going to move on to um, how do you uh, pitch your books to outside retailers such as J.W. Pepper, and do you find that it helps spread the word or bring revenue to your business? <sighs>
2: um, so now I, I do a, what I call a rollout. I'm getting ready to roll out two new ones. Um, and when I get on an email service uh, that I can do an email blast. And it's like MailChimp is one I use for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll put an email and I have two distribution lists. I have all the folks that have signed up from the website at workshops, at uh, consignment uh, sales and wharf chapters around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got, I don't have that many. I have 286 or 7 on that one. Um, then I buy Facebook ads and I buy Twitter ads. And I've I did an Instagram one. Instagram seems to generate a lot of interest, but not much in the way of sales. Mm-hmm. Facebook is the number one. Sorry to say, I mean we love hate Facebook, right? Yeah. Um, but then I also have a second distribution list to the distributors that I work with around the country. So you know all the 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 there are a certain gang of distributors, music distributors. That will accept ORF materials. Okay, so Music and Motion, West Music, Music is Elementary, uh, Mad Robin Music and Dance out in Seattle. Um, those are the big ones. Plank Road in Wisconsin, okay, Plank Music K through 8, music that, K-8. that's a big yeah. one. They're very, very, mm-hmm. They they have a catalog filled with all sorts of things. Uh, And I probably left somebody out. But anyway, I send, uh, there's probably 19 of those on that list. And the other thing I do is to call up the purchasing folks. And most times these companies have a purchasing uh, department, but they, they split it up. So the purchasing agent that works with elementary materials. And the purchasing agent that works with high school and the one that are the bank. I always learn to know the purchasing agent for elementary school. I call them up, say, "Hey, this is me. I'm a publisher. This is what I do," and they mm-hmm. we chat just like we're chatting now. So they know that when they get an email from me, it's going to be what it is. Which and I tell them it's we are um, we develop Horf Schulwerk materials for elementary, and middle school. You know, it is what it is. It's our, as you were yes. saying, there is a niche that is left unfilled by the big fellas. And the reason they leave it unfilled is because the total audience, the total possible uh, reach for this approach is a, is between fifteen and 20,000 people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And JW, JW Pepper is one of our distributors
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, because a lot of people use it. Our, our 20,000 people buy stuff from Pepper. So yeah. they will do it, but see, Pepper is like the Amazon of music; they don't stock anything. If you order my book from from Pepper, you pay their price and their shipping. They buy it from me; <laughs> I ship it to them; they ship it to you.
3: <laughs>
2: and so there you go. But it yeah. works. It's, that's capitalism.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's also
2: why I have a website. Yeah. Those are, I try to try to sell folks on get going to the website. Because they're passing the middleman. But at the same time, I love my distributors because now you can get big sales. Because their distribution network and their websites and their advertising helps me. So it's a love-win-win relationship. Um, So I don't really, when I do ads, I advertise the books. And I say, available at your favorite music retailer. And they appreciate that. So, um, and I give them. You you have to discount your stuff for them too. So, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: the profit margin is not as big, but the bulk sales is huge. So it pays for it. So you have to have a combination of these these uh, approaches. So um, uh, that's basically what I do. Getting that started is is a huge, huge effort.
0: Where do you record the Tracks for Beaten Past resource books that come with um, a listening CD? I I remember Paul shared a a tiny story, but I just want to... Have you seen his little promotional video? Uh, under his his website page, or yeah, uh, and yeah, um, it, w- it was shot many years ago, right?
2: Because 2011. Like, now, come on, yeah. it's not that nine years ago. I guess that that is a lifetime. For it's, you it's, 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 it's,
0: it's without because <laughs> in the video it, he doesn't have a beard in that video, so that's that's why I'm thinking, oh, cool. Well, the beard yeah. has come and gone with him <laughs>
2: over the years. Uh, yeah. It's Electric Art Studio in beautiful Singer's Glen, Virginia and it's a a a little it's a one room studio uh, and where Paul's actually playing that marimba is the sound room it's just enough room to probably put three people in there if you squish together Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Uh, and getting the marimba in there was interesting it's a good thing that it disassembles and you can actually bring in all the pieces and put it together in the room that's what he did Uh, with the bass end with the uh, with the uh, Aussie. So yeah, it's a, uh, I'm very lucky because I learned to know Bart Reardon's his name. And I learned to know him way before I was a publisher. He was a guitarist. He was the, in the uh, Lou DeWitt band, which came after the Statler brothers. If you're a country music fan, you have heard of the Statler brothers. Um, and all those guys moved over and Lou DeWitt took it over and he was, he was their traveling band guitar player for a long time. And he also was local and worked in a local music store where I learned to know him, bought all my electronics from him for years before, uh, this happened and actually played the lead guitar in the Godspell that I was a music director for. So during those times I knew him, he, he told me the problem. We talked about the progress on his studio. And he, and he found out about my ORF uh, business and he said, Brent, you need to bring those instruments up to the studio. We can probably make a nice recording. And, you know, one thing followed another and that was it. So it's a little one-room uh, studio in a beautiful part of the Shenandoah Valley nestled right up against West Virginia. Uh, and it's a joy to go up there and it's quiet. And Bart is a really... Uh, personable fellow and he's very very creative if you're if you're back on the website sometime go to the composer page look up Bart Reardon and go down there and check out some of his recordings there he's doing movie soundtracks and ambiance music now oh wow and and his first CD was guitar but he got arthritis in his hands to the point where he can't play anymore Mm -hmm. so now he's generating the ambiance style music um some really good stuff. So, anyway, so, uh,
0: what does Bart? That's uh, long answer
2: to a short question.
0: Well, no, no, that's <laughs> what I want to hear. I mean, th- does Bart use um, Pro Tools or uh, Logic or Cubase when he records your yes. stuff? Yes, He's gone oh. through everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: I think he's he's got Pro Tools going now, but he's had several. He talks to me about his tech. Okay, and I could not begin. I mean, he's a, he has a Mac. He has a Mac, uh, the most powerful Mac Pro there is, rebuilt many times. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a you know a 2012, 2015, but you know all the that the Mac Pro is the one where you can take it apart and plug in stuff. Yeah, and so he's uh, he's got everything set to that system. And so his synthesizer and his compressors and his this and that and the other thing. Yeah. And he's pretty much told me now as he's growing old that, dude, when this system breaks down to the point where I can't duct tape it back together, we're done. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe it's time for me to be done, too. I don't know. But anyway. Oh,
0: no. Not at all, man. That's what keeps us. Going and that's what the drive, yeah. the, the drive keeps us going. Um, I'd like to uh, um, geek out on your website real quick because uh, I'm, I'm again just a fan of how it's presented. Hold on, let me share the screen. Well, good. I appreciate that. Good. Oh, get good feedback.
2: I don't. Yeah. yeah. I don't get a lot of folks who. Uh...
0: Well, uh, just observing it once I. Uh, you know, tap on it. One of the first things I, I, I like are these pops up, pop-ups, which I think is going to come up pretty soon or not. Usually it's pretty good at it. Like there's always like a something that pops up to the right side, or maybe if I tap on or click on that for your composers. Huh, interesting. But you know what I'm Where talking are your about, share right? Share buttons. Share buttons?
2: Yeah, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? They come up on the left the share buttons and then the follow it's, buttons on the right
0: yeah and sometimes you know, there's a share there button, they are. right
2: there there it is
0: and there normally there's a um something that comes up right there it is so, so like there's always a like a new type of um book that says hey check this out or check that out mm-hmm. and uh, i i i really dig that and i think if i w- were to I, w- I was testing it out if i where to like a uh, tap or say if I wanted to exit. Um, and all of a sudden another pop-up button when it comes like before you go, <laughs> you should check it. Yes. and I'm, I think, th- you know, that is quite amazing, but not only in, in a business sense of like marketing. sense, There's Yost. That's, that's, that's Yos Yos? right there. Oh, yeah. dig. Yeah. I, I, I like um, how, like when you go here and you would, um, there's several different pages of this, but then when you would look at a preview, it goes right into like it will just play automatically. Let me just take that down. Yeah. But and then you can just browse through and it gives you this is what you get. And I think it's one of the best uh um examples of, as like a good solid um website and just wanted to talk with you about that as far as like uh we can nerd out into like which hosting which host you use, and I, who I'll does go anywhere it. with yeah. you. It's your it. interview,
2: man. Yeah, uh, Let's go with it. Let's go for yeah,
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like who actually um, maintains or does the maintenance on the site, and do you go through um, periods of like, uh, why I have to change this again because technology's changing? I have to revamp the site, and um, so yeah, I just. What's what's that all about? From
2: so the ISP own, yeah. is iPower out of California, mm-hmm. and I run a green badge on the bottom of every page because it's all wind power generated. The power for that for their servers. Okay, yeah, very cool. Um, <laughs> okay. And I am the webmaster. I do all the web work. I've tried to farm it out at certain along the way at certain points, and uh, they the cost. I say, dude, I am doing the website. I am earning all that money that I would pay them to do it. Hmm. So, so far, I'm doing okay. And it's like years ago when I had my garden out in the back. I'm into low-maintenance gardening.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm into low-maintenance website maintenance, okay? Um, This particular version of the website was the big refurb, you know, redo it went to the shop it got a complete makeover from what it was before and this happened after i took an seo workshop with jason mcdonald out of stanford university mm-hmm. online and it was a 12 session uh website critique and i have to give jason a lot of kudu because he was real nice about my really crappy website <laughs> and this was pre-2012 It was homemade. It was ancient looking. It had no no tech whatsoever. It was just links and HTML. All right. -hmm. So I went shopping for uh, a template. So the one I found, Andres Vickland. If you look at the bottom of the website, (laughs) there's an attribution and a link down there. Uh And uh, I really liked the simplicity. I like the flexibility, not only in being able to adapt the pages, but the fact that it would could be adapted to all the platforms. So when you open it up on your iPad, you can see it. It's really teeny tiny on the phone, mm-hmm. but you can still, it still functions, you know, yeah. it's okay. Google doesn't like it. It says the links are too small to touch with your finger and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is how you fix that. <laughs> on your phone if you want to hit that link (laughs) Google doesn't like it when you have to do that so for that reason my highest selling authors get their own mobile website which is really mobile friendly and you know uh, but those things cost uh, prohibitively per I mean you got to sell a lot of books to, to justify that yeah Um. So then I had to develop my website like an outline. Here's my landing page. These are my company pages. And then each author gets a subdirectory. So you were showing me Patrick's website. His, uh, his subdirectory has a home page. It has a documents page. It has images. It's a place to store all the stuff. Plus a product page for each. I put two products on each page for him. And then you have space where you can put a little audio link. You can listen to some of his tracks. You can go to that preview, which auto plays. Some people think that stinks. Uh, And I have changed my previews for all the new books. Now all I do is put up a PDF, you know, and when you can scroll right on through it. uh, It doesn't present itself like a, like a a storybook slideshow. Yeah. Now that storybook slideshow is a lot of work
0: oh I I know <laughs> so'm i I'm back to my original
2: preset <laughs> yeah. low maintenance website mm-hmm. okay so I quit doing that now I just I can I can generate a PDF out of InDesign like boom 30 seconds yeah. is done throw it up there but I have to edit the preview because I don't want to give them too much you got to give you got to give away stuff to get people interested so they'll buy it but
0: also, you add. I see that you also add watermarks too, so they don't. Uh, you know, yeah, just yeah, totally. That's just rip part it of off. the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah That yeah. takes time as well. Well, if they do rip
2: it off, people are going to know that it's. That I get yeah. a little, at least a little, advertising out of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: um, so, have you seen professional developments such as attending music conferences gone down? And if yes, um, why are schools unable to fund them? Um, I think of it as kind of like a touring indie musician where the clinicians who have published resources would like to sell them to the participants after the presentation. Um, Paul said he didn't really see that, but I'm, I'm wondering since you've done so many clinics and workshops, what's that from your, and especially during the current times that we're in, but like, um, <laughs> yeah.
2: So if any of the folks that write music for us, <clears throat> all those composers on that composer page, if any of them do a workshop, I contact the host of the workshop and offer them a consignment of that person's materials plus some best-selling. I fill a box for them.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: a lot of times the composer, like Paul, has one book, so I, I have to fill the box. So I put in a bunch of other related books. Yeah. So I ask Paul, what are you doing in the workshop? And he says, okay, this is a recorder one, so I throw in all the recorder books plus cool. Paul's book, plus a couple mm-hmm. of marimba things because he always mentions them and uh, you know and the same <clears throat> same thing with all the other folks um, so yeah I try to support uh, that that activity that's one of the big deals and I'm I've really lost a lot here in the pandemic because I there have been mm-hmm. no workshops so I've lost all the consign shoot all the sales in the tank right now like, oh, man. Um, I'm getting a couple two three four orders a week online because mm-hmm. folks want to buy stuff when they go back have stuff ready and yeah, uh, it started to pick up just a teeny bit, but boy, with no summer courses. See, I used to yeah. send uh, boxes and boxes of stuff out to West Music because they were a big supporter of Orf- Orf courses. Uh, you you saw the uh, bookstore there at ECU yep. and all the stuff that West Music sent. Um, and Music and Motion's another big supporter of of local workshops and. You know, uh, Mad Robin out in Seattle usually travels to all the workshops on the West Coast. You know, she's in Seattle, but she'll go down to as far as L.A. and uh, have consignment packages for those classes. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm doing the best I can with that. Yeah. <laughs> in the ORF business, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, Paul, bless his heart, I keep trying to say, Paul, you need to go out and do more workshops.
0: yeah. And he he yeah. did talk about that. He was like he's very excited about it. Since I I was actually quite surprised that was his first one, knowing that he's such a brilliant um, educator. I was like, really? Okay. Uh, but it, yeah, but he seemed well. He did mention that uh, this year's VMA VMEA is going to be online. Um, seems like that's going to be the deal. Um, but what, what do you see as the biggest challenge for elementary music teachers as schools reopen
2: post COVID, how to adapt the teaching method to the social distancing? How are you going to, and how, what's going to happen to singing? Uh, Mm -hmm. is that going to change everything with regards to the presentation of musical materials? Is there going to be a lot more listening? Is there going to be... I wonder how playing instruments is going to work. And we always worried about the recorder, oh, you know, yeah. trying to keep those sanitized. So, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm very sympathetic to the teacher's plight, uh, trying to get it back. And I'm looking at all the Beaten Path materials that we're publishing... Um, do these support what they're trying to do uh, as they adapt to the new to the new world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, you know, grasping at straws. You know, I'm trying to yeah. stay up with what's happening online, uh, how teachers are working online, what kind of materials can I help them with, how can they be supported? You know, um, so pretty much it. Everybody's got videos to go on with their book now, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. So uh, one of the books I just published, kind of, um, uh, I wonder about it, is a uh, singing, active singing activities for children. Yeah. What good is that going to be in a pandemic, I wonder. I'm going to release it anyway because uh, yeah. it can be adapted pretty easily to one-on-one uh, techniques. And it can be adapted pretty easily to what we're doing now. You know, the teacher can be here at home and the mm-hmm. student can be in there in the living room and you can do the movement and the singing together.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, that's wonderful, man. And So uh, that's kind of
2: where that, that's going. There's, there are also the typical group uh, activities that, and with ORF arrangements and stuff. The book was was pretty much done before the pandemic hit. But uh, as it went on, I said, okay, this is really great. We got the videos. It's really great that, that folks can sign up and do individual classes with you uh, for their singing and so forth. So, yeah, um, I, the level of concern is great. Everybody that I've talked to is like, now, are we going to, when you're publishing, now we have to keep in our mind how are you going to be able to present this in the new environment that you're going to find yourself in? Yeah, big. it's a big deal.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear this answer from your point of view as a publisher because, you know, I've asked this to educators and this is the first response I've had from um, a publisher. Um, on a lighter note, um, what inspired you uh, to construct your homemade percussion instruments and what materials did you use for, say, like your homemade marimba, cause that's, and, uh, because they sound great. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, gosh, this guy is just on a different planet.
2: <laughs> I am, uh, yeah. well, you, you know enough of my background to know I was really interested in learn how to play all the instruments. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, and, I, and the ORF conferences. The ORF conferences are a huge inspiration. Uh, and uh, so in 1997, Walt Hampton showed up with his kids. And they did a lunchtime concert. And I was stunned. Little tiny kids. Great big marimbas. <laughs> and they were cooking. Oh, now, wow. cooking in in the sense that their groove, they got their groove on. You know, in time, playing, just getting it. And all they were doing, that Zimbabwean marimba style, it's layered... Melodic and harmonic ostinatos. Bing. And I went, Uh ding, and (laughs) ding, and I went, ah. Well, at the same conference, John Maiden and Christopher Maybach showed up. And John had come two weeks early and had made several marimbas with a local teacher there in Seattle and he brought them to the workshop brand new freshly made shellac was you could still smell it you know on the bars and stuff and they together presented a workshop and chris christopher was the dance guy and john was the music guy so john would teach us the tunes chris would teach us the dance we'd put it together and play and then john and chris together gave a presentation about where those instruments in that session came from. That was my first experience with John. In 1998, the music supervisor in Augusta County came to me and said, what do you want to do in your summer session? You know, the, remember the one with the five teachers? Mm-hmm. Different areas. So yeah. you had to pick your theme. One That one theme was the theme and variation year. This one was make your own instrument year. Oh. Yeah. So for two weeks... It was a two-week set in one school and then a two-week set in another school and a second music teacher did the third school. So I did two weeks and then two weeks. And that summer, we built six Aussie marimbas and three bass marimbas. So the, the, the supervisor came and said, what do you want to do? I said, I do. I want to build marimbas and musical instruments. And we made... There's another book that John has put out called Make Your Own Wacky Instruments. Oh. So I got in that book, and there are uh, boom pipes and aggie boings and ring shakers and all kind of stuff. And for the little kids, it's duct tape and uh, this this corrugated hose. It's about an inch, you know. It's just plumbing stuff put it together with duct tape, but you throw some beads down in there. You get a, 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 a tube, a wrapping paper tube, a long cardboard tube, and you tape up the ends, put beans in it, tape up the ends. You got a rain stick. If you put toothpicks through it, now it makes the rain stick go, you know, you make your own rain sticks. So we made rain sticks and this stuff, but the marimbas was the coolest thing, and we got them all done. And boy, those first marimbas, they were hard. I had to have a carpenter come in and help me finish them up. But then, you know, it's always trial and error. I ended up playing, making 12 marimbas for the three middle schools in Augusta County. Wow. And then when I retired, I started doing artist in residence uh, workshops out in, uh, up and down the East Coast and as far west as New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I went to New Mexico last March and helped the guy build from scratch going by going to the lumber yard, picking out the wood, taking it to the high school shop, cutting the piece, you know, from scratch. Uh, we made him a, uh Aussie and a, and a bass. And so I, I think I'm up to like 58 instruments now that I've made, helped schools uh-huh. make uh, since since uh, 1998. Wow. So that's it, man. And uh
0: well, I mean, uh, you, you certainly take it above and beyond, um, as far as like, you know, usually when you hear, yeah, make your own instrument," it's usually the shoe box with the rubber band strings but yeah. like above and beyond. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, um, I was going to say, um, well, thank you so much for, um, talking with me and conversing with me. I really dig this, uh, conversation piece and, um,
2: all the best, my friend. And, uh, all the best. have you done and your I'm, level three yet?
0: I signed up for this year, but it got canceled, so I'm hoping to... Uh,
2: I yeah, would have I'm, seen I'm, you there.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm really hoping, um, you know, next year, we you, hopefully the numbers... Kick we'll come in. on back. Uh, we'll have some yeah.
2: fun. We'll, we'll geek out together.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just a shame I haven't had shall a class I, Shall I bring before. stuff
2: and we'll make a marimba while during the class? Sure,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Well, take care of yourself, Brett.
2: All right, man. Thanks right, so much. Take care.
0: You too. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. My thanks to Brent Hall for a very insightful interview. Please visit Beaten Path Publications online. Brent, along with his talented and passionate group of composers, compile original and excellent Orff resources. On the next Music Ed, my guest will be Bethany Johnson, an elementary general music teacher from Loudoun County Public Schools in Virginia, who represents a generation of educators who share new and innovative lessons utilizing technology and social media. My thanks again to Brent Hull for his kindness and wisdom. I'm Samson Trinh. Thank you for listening to Music Ed.